Welcome to Member Maker, a podcast about how to build a sustainable membership business. I'm your host, Ward Sandler, the co-founder of MemberSpace. This podcast is brought to you by MemberSpace, which turns any part of your existing website into members only with just a few clicks. It's available for Squarespace, WordPress, Webflow, Wix, Duda, Weebly, and custom HTML sites. Learn more at memberspace.com. Hey, Abigail and Emily, welcome to Member Maker. Hi. Hi. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start off with what is your business and who are you helping? Yeah. So we're the co-founders of Boss Project and I'm Abigail. And in case you need a voice intro. This is me, Emily. And we help small business owners all over the world grow profitable and sustainable businesses online. But when we're talking about our membership specifically, we're really like taking the learning curve away from marketing and selling in your business by providing templates that simplify design and make it super easy for you to improve your client experience so you can focus more on what you do best. So is it focused on businesses that rely on clients specific, like agency kind of work or? Oh, that's a great question. So the basics of who we work with typically is a creative entrepreneur, 99% female focused. And these are women who are starting businesses either because they have a desire to leave some sort of corporate position. Maybe they've been home with kids and they want to pursue something bigger for their lives. Not that raising a child isn't a huge endeavor. It's amazing. But we see these women wanting to create a variety of businesses, mostly in the creative space. So we're talking things like wedding planners and designers and jewelry makers and all sorts of different people. But they typically are in that what I would consider a creative entrepreneur. And they are pursuing a business that they're starting from scratch, a bunch of service-based businesses for sure. But we definitely have product makers in there too. Cool. And just to explain a little further, what is it that you're actually providing for them? Sure. Emily? Yeah. So our shop has downloadable templates, both with beautiful designs. So we can check off the part of your marketing department where we have a lot of creative entrepreneurs who are in our space, but they're non-designer creatives. And I identify strongly with that. I am a photographer. I know how to style something. I do have a good eye, but I can't design a graphic to save my life. And we have a lot of those type of people in our audience. And so it's graphics for social media. It's client proposal templates, email headers, opt-in templates, media kits, everything that your small business needs to present and market itself online. We provide beautiful design and graphics from a professional designer for that. We also provide swipe copy where we can. So where it makes sense, like one of our most recent releases, it's kind of my favorite right now, is a sales page template. And it's an entire sales page for you to sell literally anything, your services or a digital product, but it has prompts as you scroll through the page. So an idea for a headline or insert your pain points here or talk about the features of your offer right here. So it gets our audience thinking not only, okay, here's some great design I can have in my back pocket to post, but I also like can Mad Lib style fill it out really relatively quickly so they can just go from download to having a really professional converting marketing brand on the front. That's very cool. I mean, when you're first starting a company, you know, everything's hard, obviously, but 
not having something that looks attractive in terms of social media or your email, your client proposals, all of that just kind of makes things even harder, right? Because you, you got people who are maybe going to do business with you, but then the the copying doesn't look good. The design doesn't look good. You don't have a ton of testimonials. You basically have everything working against you. So it's nice that you kind of help uh, accelerate that part of the process. Like at least your stuff's going to look good, even if you're just kind of getting going. Exactly. We found really early on that it was really helpful for our business and we lucked out where Abby's a designer and I was a photographer. And so we started our marketing company with amazing looking marketing, really good collateral, really good images for social media, really good images for Pinterest and our blog and our website. And just not everyone has that skill set. But we do think that so many business owners are trying to have that skill set when we'd rather they get back to serving their clients or hopping on a Facebook live or writing that email content that they're really good at and let us take care of the rest. Yeah. Having that focus is a big thing. You can't do everything. She might as well just do what you're good at. Exactly. So let's move on to how did you actually find this business niche? Cause it sounds like, you know, one is a photographer, the other is a designer, but how did you decide, you know what, let's combine powers and create all these assets for potential customers? Yeah. So we actually had previously worked as our client, if that makes any sense. So we were these female entrepreneurs. We started businesses. We we tried a lot of different ones before they stuck, but the place and time in which we met just was really serendipitous. We had both been running our own separate marketing companies, so to speak. Emily was definitely still a photographer at this point, but I was serving the kind of clients we still serve today, but B2B. I was doing marketing and graphic design for those clients. And we just started blogging about literally everything we were learning in our business. How we set up our first MailChimp account, how we started using Pinterest to drive traffic, like all the parts and moving pieces. I don't really know why, honestly, because it wasn't really helping us get clients at the time. It was essentially as if we were building an audience for something that we could use someday, maybe. And it worked out. We ended up becoming and evolving into an education company. And we've been serving these women for the last five years. And we started with courses, um, mostly in that like more on the strategy side of things, where we're actually coaching you through how to market, how to land your first client, how to get that product up and running. And this felt like the missing link for us where we utilized the skills that really helped us get our business off the ground and running quickly and smoothly and looking professional. But we wanted it to be a really tangible way that a lot of people could have access to it. Because I remember when we started, we were very hesitant to invest in people to help us build our business. And so we really had to get scrappy with how we grew. And this is something that's super tangible and affordable for businesses, even in their infancy. And that's what makes this special. So when you're coming up with, you know, these blog posts for kind of basic fundamental business stuff, like setting up MailChimp, you said you didn't have an audience in mind necessarily yet, but that maybe it could be used in the future. Was that intentional where you're like, you know what, we might as well put some stuff out there and start collecting email addresses for the future because who knows what's going to happen? 
I definitely think it was part of that where it's just like, hey, we have stuff to say and and we might as well like make this part of our strategy. I, in my business before I met Abby, had actually created a course already and had sold it. And so when we met, Abby was definitely blogging and started putting out that content. But I think we decided... Hey, I think if we actually serve, coming from being service providers for many, many years before we started talking in this, you know, how-to blog post type of content, we came from an area of what value can we give? What did we literally just learn a week ago, a month ago, last quarter that we can turn around and teach? And we know that we were using Pinterest and Google to find how-to articles ourselves, right? How to make this certain thing connect in our business or whatever, how to run a webinar, how to sell a course. And so we knew that people were using those platforms to find the answers to questions that we could answer. So we thought if we want to show up and if we want to serve, like we might as well make ourselves a viable option. I think it definitely took months. It's not really that many months, but like six or eight months for us to really realize, hey, I think we're actually building up a really good audience over here. Like, let's see what else we can sell on this side that isn't necessarily that one-on-one client relationship because we were definitely like, getting to the level of being burnt out on that end of things. So I think it was one of those, like, we did it because we thought it might be helpful, but within like six to eight months, it proved to be really, really helpful. And I'm glad, definitely glad we did it. Yeah. I mean, I think the intention originally was that it would funnel in the right people to ultimately become clients, Mm -hmm. but we were doing a fairly terrible job at the time. We landed zero clients from all of that content. (laughs) (laughs) From illustrating the connection between this helpful, essentially a lot of it in the infancy was very much like tech focused, like how-to articles step-by-step. But that wasn't necessarily the service we were offering. We were we were still designing websites and taking custom photo shoots for clients. And so there was there was a missing link between that correlation, but we weren't we weren't having a problem landing clients. We were actually full. So it was we were building up this audience and then we were trying to figure out how to monetize it. And we tried a bunch of different things, but definitely started with courses. And it kind of grew and evolved from there. I mean, I like how it all started with you were your own client in a way. Like you knew you were doing this, so you could all, knew you could serve those kind of people mm-hmm. as well. Totally. But since you know this six to eight week experiment, sort of of posting all this information and building up an email list, and it ended up you knew you had an audience going. There was something happening here. But let's say that didn't happen. Let's say the content just wasn't resonating. People just were not joining your email list. Is that something you would have kept doing, or do you think it would have just been like, you know what, this this strategy, this channel isn't really working for us. Let's let's move to something else. Well, you have to remember the marketplace at the time. So five years ago, blogging was a proven marketing strategy. Like it was driving organic traffic for people. It was helping them build email lists, and I think we were absorbing enough education from other places that if it had been proven to work for other people, I think we would have kept pursuing it and tried to figure out what we needed to change. It'd it'd be the equivalent of saying, oh, I'm going to go try Facebook ads and I ran a couple tests and I lost some money. That means Facebook ads don't work. Eh." I mean, maybe you need to tweak your strategy. It's not that Facebook ads don't work. It's probably something in your language or your messaging or your graphic or whatever. Like there's a lots of moving pieces. So 
I think we were fairly convinced blogging would work for us. We just didn't totally. There was definitely content we were putting out that wasn't working. I, oh, I totally. Very, we joke around about this one particular blog post that Abby wrote early on about a blueberry streusel recipe, <laughs> and it was <laughs> it was a mix of that and some like DIY canvassing for her guest room, and then oh, here's an article on LinkedIn. And so we definitely got focused and you know ditched the posts that weren't working for us. So it wasn't a hundred percent working one hundred percent of the time. Yeah. But I think if I were if I were starting fresh right. Now, using the same concept of, okay, how can I serve? How can I provide value? How can I show up and get people to convert? Maybe blogging wouldn't be my answer, but the marketing technique in and of itself is the same. Wherever you do that, whatever medium you use, I think needs to be relevant with what's working for your audience or relevant with what's working right now. But the idea is still the same. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. So the pricing, what are you actually charging for your membership? Yeah. So you can join our membership today for $47 a month. And that's really all we focus on. We do have an annual option, um, but we haven't, it's, it's so new that like the idea of someone buying into something that's only three months old is, you know, a little bit, I mean, it's a risk for them. And so we haven't necessarily pushed that as like save and buy the annual, but yeah, $47 a month. And they get access to everything. And we add new templates every single month. So the library in which they get access to just grows. And we've just kept it flat. And we don't plan to change the price anytime soon. We've in the past had a product that we sold for $29. And we were told, I would, I can't even imagine how many times someone said, the value is crazy. You should increase the price. And we were like, nope, it's been working at for us for $29 and working so well, in fact, that people share it without us even asking them to. And we're already seeing a similar kind of buzz around this membership that we're like, nope, like it's going to be $47 for the foreseeable future. And I know you said it's early, but what are you charging for the annual? It's $4.97. So you essentially get... I think it's two months free. Yeah. I think there's something to be said, like you were saying before of, you know, leaving some money on the table in a sense where you're providing something with such an outrageous ROI or value ratio in terms of what they're paying and what they feel like they're getting that, that doesn't just mean, Oh, you made less money. It's more complicated than that in a good way for you where it's like, okay, someone feels like they got this great, amazing deal so much so that they're going to reach out to the person who's told it to them and say, you should have charged me more. I mean, that, that's a strong signal. And then on top of that energy, they're also, like you said, sharing it with people unsolicited because it's like, Oh my God, this is the craziest deal. I'm going to scream about this from the rooftop. So there's something that you get by not charging as much. And and that can lead to more sales on net, which it sounds like you're already well aware of. Yeah. I think it's a gamble. Like yeah, it's not going to work every time. Yeah, I've seen some people go out and, you know, I'm going to put this out there for $2. Well, now all of a sudden you've priced yourself so low mm-hmm. that you become skeptical of the value. So I think there has to be some skin on the bone, but it, it also doesn't work for every single product out there. Right. It's just worked for us on these couple of things. We've tried other things that were low price and they flopped. So I think you have to experiment a little bit, but it's definitely a strategy we're here for. And it's helping us grow faster, is my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, the idea that, yeah, pricing is always an experiment. There's no three rules of this is how you do pricing. And it always works. But I think what's interesting about how you're doing it is that you know that you could charge more, 
but you're not because you know this you're in a, a good spot right now. That doesn't mean you won't increase it in the future. Uh, but I think a lot of people right. out there are sometimes like, oh, I, I, either I'm going to charge way too little and I'm scared about increasing it because then no one's going to sign up, which I think is a fallacy. And then there's yeah. people mm-hmm. who charge a lot for their membership. And it's just kind of like this premium thing. But then there's other things that go along with that too, where maybe right. people are going to buy it, but they don't feel like they got a great deal. So they're not necessarily going to go tell anyone about it. So maybe you're actually going to make less sales mm-hmm. on net than if it was half that price. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Well, and it's a different level of energy that you put into a premium product as the creator, not not just as the purchaser, but we wanted to create something. We already have a premium product. We have a $2,000 signature program and our students in that program get high level access to us and our team and strategy and our brains and so much. We couldn't, because we tried, we couldn't create another product that demanded and deserved that sort of level of our attention. So we wanted it to be light, easy, and fun. And marketing something that's light, easy, and fun, for us, it's just a completely different energy. And so I think that there is a balance in between what are you offering in your business that deserves this level amount of your attention versus this level and maybe have a variety. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to pick your brain about, I've spoken to a bunch of people who have some sort of a resource library type model for the membership like you do. And I've yeah. heard kind of, uh, there's kind of two, two sides to this. Some people are like you where it's like, okay, every month or every week, there's new content coming out and anyone who signs up gets access to that new content and all of the old previous mm-hmm. content. And then there's mm-hmm. the other side of folks who say, when someone signs up, I only want them to have access to the content that comes out after they've signed up, none of the previous content. Mm-hmm. Do you have any, I, I, I kind of can guess the way you're going to follow this, but I'm curious if, if you have any thoughts about that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's a couple of things for this. One, it makes the sign-up process so much more attractive when the library <laughs> is already beefy when you land there. So that's definitely adding to that shock of like, gosh, like they're basically giving this away for free. I got to sign up. This is a no brainer for me. But like, I totally get the, this stuff goes away and all that, but I'll be honest. You want to know the number one reason we didn't do it any other way than we did? Why? Because this is the simplest, easy, easiest way to put it out there that requires us hiring no coder to come in and like make some fancy back end stuff to like hide things. No way. Like, I know member space for sure has some capabilities where we could make things a little more complicated, but we wanted to be able to set it up ourselves and make it quick, easy, dirty, fast, and focus on the value of the content and less on how complicated the setup process was. Yeah, no, I think that's a totally fair way to put it. I was just curious because some people are, and just to be clear, member space does not have that feature of the, uh, you can only access content that's released today and later uh, because it's super complicated to build. And that's why I think a lot of systems don't have that built in. And I always kind of lean the way you're thinking about it too. It's like, why not just provide more value? Like people who have been there since day one, they are getting that value every month. They're getting that new content. So you're not cheating them. And then people who are joining, you know, after a year it's of the content being out, they get access to all that wonderful previous content and the future. I just don't yeah. feel like you're cheating anybody and you're just giving them more reasons to sign up. So mm-hmm. I 100% agree with your logic on it. Yeah. Okay. So in kind of closing here, could you give an example of something that hasn't worked in the business, like a, a marketing strategy or something like that that you try that just kind of flopped? 
Oh, my Periscope flopped. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter flopped for us. Um, no, I think if we think about things that haven't worked, I mean, I could talk about countless things. We've had things we put out there that we spent too much on Facebook ads before the launch, like mm-hmm. assuming that those things would convert. We've put out entire programs that were like, is anyone going to buy? Like we built the whole thing and then no one bought. And I think what it's come down to is we're not afraid of failing anymore. Like if if it happens, we're just going to pick up and we're going to try something else. And I think at this point, we're fairly far into our business and have a fairly clear client experience. And we know what our primary products are. And it was honestly a huge discussion as to whether we'd even add this membership after we've been in business as long as we have been. Not that it was a gamble. We were fairly certain it would work, but like, was it going to confuse our client experience? Was it going to detract from something else we were doing? And I think we asked enough of the right questions to land in a place where we I don't know, we're actually successful with it, but tons of things didn't work. But they're the ones that we don't talk about anymore, you know? (laughs) I also think part of it of of like what doesn't, you know, what does it mean really when it doesn't work? Because we're, you know, big in the camp of like learning from every launch or learning from every strategy that we try and either like nip it in the bud super quickly or you tweak some things and try it again. But for us, I think when things haven't worked or when they fell out of place or they flopped or whatever it is that defines that it didn't work, it always comes back to when we weren't managing or setting the right expectations for what that thing was going to do either for us or for our audience or for sales. And I think so like we started out with a membership or I had made, you know, a really low price course first, but then when Abby and I got together, we made a membership like within six months of being in business. And it was kind of similar in the sense of every month, new content is going to be released. And we quickly within nine months shut it all down because it was exhausting and it was too much management and it was not enough reward. And we didn't have a big enough audience to justify. And member space, frankly, didn't exist. And (laughs) member space didn't exist for us. You know, it was just complicated. But was that a flop? Not necessarily. We turned all of those people into, you know, buying a course instead. And then that laid the foundation of what is now our signature program. And now we took those lessons from that membership and and launched this one and it exceeded our expectations and continues to do so. So I don't know. It's just, I think it's when your expectations aren't really set right, that something yeah isn't going to work for you. Yeah. I think for folks out there who maybe haven't run a business before, or they're just starting, they're not necessarily used to that building that muscle that it sounds like you both definitely have mm-hmm. of, I try something, it doesn't work. It doesn't mean I'm a failure. It means that idea didn't work for whatever mm-hmm. reason. And then you pivot from that and you learn. You have a string of failures, right? There's any successful business out there has done way more initiatives that failed than worked. You know, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. They're the things I already forgot about though. Like I'm, I didn't mourn them. Yeah. They're just, just like, what was they're that? just in the <laughs> archive somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Great. All right. So what's the best way for people to learn more about you guys and your business? Yeah. Well, since we've been talking about the shop the whole time, I definitely recommend heading over to creativetemplateshop.com. But our main biz is over at bossproject.com. And I definitely suggest if you like podcasts to go check out our Mm -hmm. podcast at the strategy hour. 
Excellent. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, Abigail and Emily. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. There's a direct link in the show notes. We really appreciate it. This podcast is brought to you by MemberSpace, which turns any part of your existing website into members only with just a few clicks. It's available for Squarespace, WordPress, Webflow, Wix, Duda, Weebly, and custom HTML sites. Learn more at memberspace.com.